prayer. Lord, I thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your healing power. Lord, we thank you for doctors and medicine, but we know that you are our great physician. Lord, I pray for all the different needs here this morning. Lord, you know what they are, whether it be implants or surgery or biopsies or people who are just struggling with questions of why this morning. Lord, that you would be their comfort and you would be their peace. Lord, I pray that you would just move people to you, that you would draw them near to you, that they would feel your arms around them this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In continuing in our study of Romans, uh, how many, it was, it was uh, more than two weeks ago. We had Mother's Day last week, and then the week before, uh, Steve Mann gave the word, and, and I had just gotten back from Canada, and then the, it was, it's been two weeks since I preached. Now, three weeks? No, it's been two weeks. Yeah, I, I didn't preach the last two weeks, so it's been three weeks. Okay. I didn't preach the last two weeks. Here's what Mike, here's what Mike Hansen said. Mike Hansen said, that means I'm gonna go a long time today. I gotta, I gotta get it all out here. In Romans chapter two, Paul was encouraging us to live and judge righteously. Remember that? Judge not, but with righteous judgment. Not that we shouldn't judge. But that when we do judge, we should judge with righteous judgment. If we have a big old plank in our eye, we can't point out the speck in somebody else's. Amen? We want to live and judge righteously. Paul continues to speak to the Jews about what righteousness is. And it brings us into some interesting territory. In the previous verses, Paul said that they were those who boasted in the law, but broke the law. They boasted in the law. They, they were proud of the law, but they broke the law. They were what was called hypocrites. They were called, they were bad examples of faith. He then speaks to them about a topic that was very relevant to the culture and is still relevant today. Now, how many people remember the sermon that I did with the chainsaw? Doug really remembers. How many remember that sermon? Some people are going to remember the sermon here today as well. Hold on. The sermon this morning is about circumcision. Doug, I'm not going to need you to volunteer. (laughs) How many, okay, so we're all adults, right? It's probably not great with me waving this knife around, but I'm just saying. We're all adults. How many know what circumcision is? How many, uh, okay, there may be some who don't know what circumcision is. I want to speak to you about this. It's the topic of today's sermon. You say, Pastor David, is that really a topic of, yes, it is. Why? Because the Bible speaks about it. Not just here, but multiple times in the Bible. Now, keep in mind that Paul has been in ministry for about 20 years. And it's likely that this subject has come up multiple times. The subject has come up multiple times, especially in his teaching to the Jews. Under the law, under the Old Testament, listen to this, 
Jews were identified by taking part in a ritual circumcision. It happened on the eighth day that they were born. It says this, it was commanded by God for male newborns to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. And this is what it says in Genesis. Go to the first slide. It says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, listen to this, every male among you should be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. If they were in the household of Abraham, they were to be circumcised. If they were over eight days old, that pretty much included all the men that were there. Amen? I know the men can't say amen too loud, but amen? It included everybody who was there. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. And he has broken my covenant. He has broken my covenant. You know, sometimes in the Bible, we read a command of God and go, why, Lord? How many know what I'm talking about? Go. I'm sure Abraham had to, God, are you sure? Come on. He's a real person, a real man with feelings, and, 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 and God says, okay, this is the sign of my covenant, and this is what you must do. And Abraham says, ooh, really? Really? Now, you should understand something. Circumcision was not just a part of Jewish law. It was, it was actually done... Uh, in the Egyptians, uh, to the Egyptians before the Jews had the law. Now, here's what happened. It was literal in practice in that the male fertility symbol was the phallus. And we're all adults. We can talk about this. And so what they would do is in ancient times, it became this symbol of fertility. It became their strength. It became what they were all about. And so what would happen is when a male would reach the age of puberty, whenever that would be, that's when they would have him circumcised. But God said something different. God said, no, no, no. It's going to be on the eighth day of life. Now, there's something significant about the eighth day of life. How many know what the significance is? In the eighth day of life, doctors tell us that you will never have more vitamin K running through your body. A man, a male, will never have more vitamin K running through their body other than the eighth day of their life. Vitamin K is what is, is, brings healing to the body. It makes healing come quicker and faster. And so it's interesting that God commands circumcision to happen on the eighth day, the one day in their whole life where healing and, and wellness is going to come faster than any other day. That's pretty amazing for God, isn't it? 
It's pretty amazing to know about that. And so we think, well, why would God do this? Why would God want the people of Israel to be circumcised? What is the point of it? God, why did you have to do this? God's command, you know, it doesn't seem like the very best way to win converts. Does it, Doug? No, he's shaking his head. It doesn't seem like the best way to win converts, but whether you should love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your heart, and all your mind, right? Oh, and by the way, we have one other thing that you need to do to be, to be considered Jewish. And so this was the, the, anybody who became Jewish would have to undergo circumcision no matter how old they were in order to truly be considered Jewish. Peter Lathert says this, because it was literal in practice, but it was symbolic in nature. And you say, Pastor David, you know, I I brought my family here today. Uh, There's some visitors here with us this morning. And and you say, uh, Pastor David, is this really what you want to be preaching on? The answer is yes. This is what Peter Lathert says about circumcision. It says this, it demonstrated that Abraham's children were not going to inherit the land by the power of their flesh. They were not going to inherit the land because of their battle prowess or heroism. God promised fertility, but indicated that Abraham would father the seed only when he gave up fleshly hope. Listen to this. It is no accident that Abram could only father the child of the promise, Isaac, only after he was circumcised. Circumcision was a casting away of the flesh. For Israelites, it began at infancy. Eight days old. Eight days old. It was a signifier that flesh was impotent. At the same time, the circumcised renounced flesh. Here's what they did. When they renounced flesh, they entrusted their life to God. The people of Israel were renouncing fleshly power. They were renouncing the power of the fertile gods of Egypt. They were renouncing what was thought to be their strength and comfort. They were renouncing all of that and saying, my life is totally relying on God. How many know that as Christians today, we need to understand that our strength and our comfort and our peace is not in our flesh, not what we do, but should only be reliant on God? Come on. When I talk about circumcision, you know, I have this knife out here, and some people laugh at it, and that's funny. But sometimes in our lives, there's a cutting away. And so when we talk about circumcision, they're talking about cutting away the flesh. But sometimes in our lives, we need to cut away the flesh in our own lives, don't we? Come on. Sometimes we need to cut away that stuff. We need to say, no, no, that's not, that's not my strength. That's not my, that's not where I gain my power and my heroism. Sometimes God wants us to cut away from our lives. You say, Pastor David, do you really have to be waving that knife around? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Sometimes God wants us to get rid of the flesh in our lives. I think that we could understand this as Christians. Amen. It wasn't just a command from God. But it was a pronouncement from Israel that they would trust in God. It was a pronouncement. It was part of their identity. Here's what, here's what a commentary says. Jews believed, and listen to this, this is false, but this is what they believed. They believed that being circumcised guaranteed their salvation. 
It goes on to say that some rabbis taught, listen to this, that Abraham sat at the entrance of hell and made sure that none of his circumcised descendants were there. This is what's taught in Jewish theology. Some rabbis also taught that, and this is actually teached even still today, that God will judge the Gentiles with one measure and the Jews with another. This is why Paul addresses this issue so much in Romans chapters 2 and 3. And it says this in chapter 2. Go to the next slide. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Paul talks about this all throughout Romans. Your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He's not talking about necessarily the act of circumcision. He's talking about whether or not somebody is in covenant with God. The question this morning, we're not going to go into the different things that are in Old Testament history and they had to do circumcision and this and this. The question is simply, are you in covenant with God? To be circumcised and be part of Israel and be under the law meant that you were Jewish. It meant that you were, you were part of God's chosen people. But Paul says something pretty interesting here. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nobody is God's chosen people because they're one outwardly and physically. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. How many ever heard the letter of the law? Some people operate by the spirit of the law and some people operate by the letter of the law. Those who operate by the letter of the law are usually pharisaical. Well, you know, the Bible says this, 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 and this. Yes, but the context and the spirit of the law is something different. Amen? His praise is not from man, but from God. His praise is not from man. What Paul is saying here is seems radical to the Jewish people. I mean absolutely radical. But listen to this. It echoes the teachings of Moses in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. If you're going to circumcise anything, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You say, Pastor David, this is kind of an interesting material that we're talking about today. Boy, are you sure we should be talking about this stuff in church? If we can't talk about it here, where, where can we talk about it? Amen? We're talking about what's in the Bible, what's natural, what's human. Now today, men and men get uh, circumcised when they're born, usually in the hospital. And it's actually really big still in the United States. It's not as big in Europe and Asia. But we do it today for health reasons, medical reasons, all those sorts of things. In fact, it's interesting to, to note this. When I was studying this, I found this very interesting that in Africa, it's required that men are circumcised because it reduces the the rate at which they will get HIV. The World Health Organization actually put it into effect to where legally they had to be circumcised to reduce the rate of AIDS in that country. You say, Pastor David, what does that mean? I'd say God has a plan. And it's pretty interesting to see it. Now you say, what, what does that mean for us today? Are you, Pastor David, are you saying we should be or shouldn't be? Or, or No, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about physically what happens to you at the hospital when you're born. 
I'm talking about what happens on the inside of your heart when you're born again. Amen? I'm talking about what happens on the inside of your heart that there's a cutting away of the flesh. That there's a cutting away of what I desire and what I think and what my opinion is. Because when it compares to the Word of God, there's no comparison. We're going to talk about that in just a second here. It's not a ritual. Listen to this. I like this. What Paul is teaching here should be acknowledged by Christians today. It's not by ritual or by my own flesh that I am saved. It's only by what? The blood of Jesus. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Paul continues this in chapter 3. He says this. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of, now here it says circumcision, but in some translations it reads, what is the value of the circumcision? Paul here isn't actually speaking to the act of circumcision. He's speaking to the Jewish people. He's saying, what is the value of the circumcision? Because that's how they were referred to sometimes. So instead of saying the Jewish people, they would say the, the circumcision. What is the value of being Jewish? He says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? How many know some people who have been unfaithful? I'm not talking about in their marriages or whatnot. How many people have, how many know some people who have been unfaithful to God? I do. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. I love that. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Paul here speaks clearly to the Jews, saying to them that before God, their faithfulness will be judged. Before God, your faithfulness will be judged. I like what Spurgeon says about this. He says this, I have to say with Paul, what if some did not believe? It is not new, it is not a new thing, for there have always been for some that have rejected the revelation of God. There's always some people who reject the revelation of God. What then? You and I had better go on believing testing ourselves and proving the faithfulness of God and living upon Christ our Lord, even though we see yet another set of doubters and another and another and another and another. Just because there's doubters doesn't mean the gospel fails. The gospel is no failure, as many of us know. Charles Spurgeon said that. Paul then says, let God be true, though everyone be a liar. It doesn't matter what the general consensus is. Amen? It doesn't doesn't matter what the popular opinion is. It doesn't matter what the majority... If the majority says that good is evil and evil is good, guess what? God is faithful and they're liars. Amen? We live in a confused culture right now. We really do. Don't be swayed by a culture that, that, you know what? Here's, here's something that's really popular right now. Just live your truth. How many heard that? You just got to live your truth. You just got to live your life. You just got to follow your dreams. Our culture says follow your dreams and, and your feelings and your personal convictions. 
But Christ says to follow him. Our culture says just follow your dreams. I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, my daughter Jocelyn had a, a t-shirt. Right, right, honey? And it said, follow your dreams. Now, Jocelyn's 12 years old. She's a sweet girl, right? She loves the Lord. I understand that. And, 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 and the thing is this. I want her to reach her highest potential. Amen? I do. How many want your kids to reach their highest potential? I do. I saw Jocelyn wearing that shirt, and it said, follow your dreams. And I'm telling you, something jumped. Something jumped, and you say, Pastor David, what do you mean? Something, I, I, got, I got upset. I started looking at the shirt, and I thought, what does that mean? Because I don't want her to reach her highest potential for her dreams. Listen to this carefully. I don't want my child to reach the highest potential they have for their dreams. I don't want your children to reach the highest potential they have for their dreams. I want my child and your children to reach the highest potential they can for the dreams God has for them. I want Jocelyn to reach the highest potential for the dreams that God gives to her. Just following my plans can lead me to some messy places. Amen? Come on, how many... I know there's a lot of perfect people here this morning. Come on. Uh, Just following my plans can lead me to some messy places. But when I am following God's plan for my life, that's where he provides for me. That's where he causes mountains to be moved in Jesus' name. He causes doors to be opened and lives to be changed. I better get an amen. Come on. If you want, I'm going to give you some biblical parenting advice. Amen. If you want a biblical parenting tip, it's this. Don't urge your kids to follow their dreams. Urge your kids to follow God's dreams for them. Don't urge your kids to follow their dreams. Urge your kids to follow God's plan for them. I saw that shirt and, you know, I know it was like cute and purple and it had different colored letters and, and and it seemed innocent. But something, I, I, I tell you, something just made me jump. And I talked to her about it. I spent time teaching her about following God's plan for her life. I took it as a teaching moment. You say, and, and I know what people are going to say, Pastor David, it was just a shirt. Come on, there's some ladies out here right now that are like, well, that's just a cute shirt. In fact, maybe one of you gave it to her, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I know it was just a shirt. I'm not an idiot. Come on. I know it's just a shirt, but I also know that there's deception out there. Come on. I'm not saying that the shirt's evil or something like that. She can never wear it. What I'm saying is that it takes time. We have to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Amen? Because listen, if you don't teach them, somebody else is going to. If you aren't teaching them, somebody else will. I promise you that somebody else may not be following the will of God in their life and they're teaching your children to follow them instead. We need to be teaching our children the ways in the Lord. Where was I? Oh yeah. The popular opinion. We don't want to follow the popular opinion. We want to follow the, we want to follow God. Amen. We don't want to follow the world's opinion or the culture's opinion. We want to follow God. If everybody in the world decides that God is wrong, it doesn't take away from his truth. If everybody in the world decides that God is wrong, 
It doesn't take away from His truth. It doesn't take away from His faithfulness. No, no, it means that everybody else is a liar and God stands firm. Amen? No matter what the culture says, no matter what opinion says. Go to the next slide. It says this. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Now, Paul is going to speak here as he is, as he is somebody else. He's not speaking as Paul. He's speaking as somebody else. So he says this, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us. I speak in a human way. That's what Paul is saying. He's speaking it from like a devil's advocate point of view. Okay, so that's the way Paul is speaking here. And he says this, By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Paul is speaking here as devil's advocate. He's, he's playing the other side of the card. So it's interesting when we read this and go, well, hold on a second. I've read this a lot and I'm not really sure what this means. It's because Paul is speaking from the other side. Paul is saying, but if truth, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do, why not do evil that good may come? So Paul is saying to these people, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, no, no, now he goes back to Paul. Their condemnation is just. There's a, I like the example used in the commentary here. And it says this, in theory, the most dramatic case or most dramatic example might be someone who would be called Judas Iscariot. I can imagine that if somebody is asking Judas to make his case, he might say this, Lord, I know that I betrayed Jesus, but you did it, you used it for good. I mean, Judas, Judas could, could possibly say, in fact, if I hadn't done what I did, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross at all. In fact, Lord, what I did even fulfilled scriptures. How can you judge me at all? And the answer to Judas might go something like this. Yes, God used your wickedness, but it was still your wickedness. There was no good or pure motive in your heart at all. It is no credit to you that God brought good out of your evil. You stand guilty before God. We can't do evil in the name of good and think it justifies us before God. Amen? We can't do evil in the name of good. And we can apply this in our everyday lives. We can. Well, you know... uh, Maybe, oh, I'm going to take a drink of water here. Let me see. You know, maybe I can just fudge on my taxes just a little bit. You know, if I, if I, if I just fudge on my taxes a little bit, you know, I want to make sure my family's taken care of. We can't do evil in the name of good and expect to be justified. Amen? Well, you know, it's just, it's just a little, it's just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. Well, Pastor David, why are you making such a big deal out of it? This is what God's talking to us about. The question is this, can we be faithful in the little things so that God would make us rulers over much? This everyday examples of this. Go ahead and uh, I want everybody to stand up. Go ahead. I know I'm having you stand up a lot today. That's how it goes. I'm making sure you're not sleeping on me, Dale. Come on. Doug, come on, Evan, stand up. I know you're in the back there. All right, now, 
We have a little bit, little bit of a lopsided service this morning where a lot of people over here and not as many over here. This must have been all kids. That's great. No, it wasn't. That's all right. Do me a favor. Uh, let's have, let's see. I can't actually count how many are here right now, but let's have all of, oh, let's see. Let's say you have this section sit down. And let's say the back half of this section sit down behind Dale and Steve there. And let's say Susie, your row and back sit down. Okay, that's about half, right? The rest of you that are standing, you are all a bunch of thieves. You're a bunch of thieves. Katrina went, all right. (laughs) You're a bunch of thieves. Research indicates, listen to this, that close to 50%, Gary doesn't like being in this group, by the way. He's like, no, no. We're going to have a board meeting after this. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Research indicates that close to 50% of employees who feel that he or she is not being compensated accurately feel that they can make up the difference by stealing from their organization. 50%. And the number, the actual number is 46%. So a couple more can sit down. Let's see. Uh, Bryce and Rachel, you're too nice. You guys can sit down. Gary, you can sit down. Yeah. During... You can sit standing. I don't know. Uh, no. no, you can all be seated. Give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> but we can have a little fun with it. But the thing is this. We can't do evil in the name of good. Amen? We can't do evil in the name of good. And that's what Paul is saying here. Now, if you think that this has been a tough message so far, You might want to buckle up. Because Paul gives us some really sober teaching. You say, man, Pastor David, you really are bringing it than the, the week after you've been off. <sighs> Paul gives us some really sober teaching here. He says this. He says, verses 9 through 12. Oh boy, here we go. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Boy, this is real encouraging preaching this morning. Amen? No one does good. Not even one. If that hurts, you said, Pastor David, that kind of hurts a little bit. To say that I'm worthless. Well, there's more. Trust me. Go to the next slide. It says this. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their, under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul here is referring to everybody. Jew and Gentile who is trying to obtain righteousness under the law. Everybody who's trying to obtain righteousness through the law, none of them are righteous. Nobody. In fact, he uses some really harsh language here. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He goes on to say this. 
Go to the next slide. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This means, this is what one commentary says, this means that the law having been broken now can only condemn us. It can never save us. It means that even now, even we could begin now to begin perfectly keeping the law of God. I mean, if we could just perfectly keep it from now on, it still could not make up for the mistakes of our past. It could not remove present guilt. This means that keeping the law is not God's way of salvation or blessing. It seems pretty grim at this point. Amen? You can't even say amen with me. Seems pretty grim at this point. Seems pretty low at this point. Nobody is righteousness, righteous. We're all guilty. Uh, somebody asked me this. What does righteous mean? What does righteous mean? To live in right standing with God. To be right before God. It's simple. Righteousness. To be unrighteous means to not be right before God. So there's righteousness and unrighteousness. And Paul here doesn't paint a pretty picture. He says, we're all guilty, we're all condemned. We are guilty. He doesn't dance around the issue. He doesn't say, well, let me make it a little bit more palatable for you. Let me make it a little bit easier to go down. Let me add a little sugar in there to take your medicine. How many had to take medicine with sugar? Just a spoonful of sugar, right? Yeah, okay. I know the song. Jackie's like, don't do it. Everyone's condemned. We're all guilty. We're all messed up. When it seems like all is lost and there's no hope for anybody, Paul then reveals this truth. I like this. Because, listen, if we're all condemned and we're guilty and we're unrighteous sinners, how can there be any hope? Romans 3, 21-25 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It means the law and the prophets point towards Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. In order to understand all that Paul is saying, we need to understand that word propitiation. I've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it, talk about it again. We've just established that everybody is guilty. Everybody is sinful. Nobody is righteous. All are condemned, right? Because of our guilt, we are condemned to suffer the wrath of God. The full force of His divine anger and punishment. We are condemned to suffer. And and listen, we deserve it. There's no question about it. We absolutely deserve 
The punishment. You know, earlier I had to stand up to show you a percentage of people who, who steal from work. But do me a favor this morning. Everybody stand. Go ahead. Because I want you to understand something. That if, if we in this room, if we in this room represent humanity, if we represent all of humanity, if that's, if that's everybody in this room, there's nobody among us who is innocent. Amen? There's nobody among us. It it says this, that we are liars and cheaters and adulterers and thieves and gossips and backbiters and murderers. You may say, "But, but Pastor David, I've never done those things. But no, but you are a part of humanity and your sinful nature is inherited from the sins of your ancestors. Pastor David, I never, I've never done these things. I'm a real nice person. You know, there's, I'm going to pick on them a little bit, but in a good way. Bryce and Rachel are like the nicest, sweetest people I know. Actually, like the whole man family. Just like the nicest, sweetest people I know. But I got news for you, Bryce. You're guilty. You're part of humanity. You're part of, you're part of sinfulness. You're part of unrighteousness. Because of this guilt, we deserve, all of us deserve the wrath of God. You may be seated. But I have awesome, amazing good news for you this morning. How many are ready for some good news? It was decided long ago that one man would take your guilt upon himself. He would take upon your shame and your unrighteousness. He would take your sin upon himself. He would bring it to a hill called Golgotha and he would lay it on a cross for you. He would let himself be the sacrifice to do one simple and profound task. He would be the propitiation. Amen? He would appease the wrath of God. He would take your punishment and put it upon himself. He would die in your place. He didn't deserve it. We did. And why did Christ do this? Why why would God do this? Go to the next slide. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, listen to this, and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just and the justifier. I'm telling you, here's when the good news just keeps getting better. If you've been waiting for it all sermon, you're like, man, Pastor David, you're waving knives around, you're talking about circumcision, you're saying that we're guilty, we're condemned, we're sinners. Where's the good news? This is it. Justified means that you are made pure. Justified. That we, if we have faith in Christ, that we are made pure. It means this, that you are made righteous. Justified means that it is just if I never sinned. It is just if I'd never been guilty. It is just if I'd never been unrighteous. I'm telling you, if you want to rejoice about something, you want to clap about something, you want to get excited about something, you better get excited about being justified before God. Justified means that you're made pure, that you're made righteous. 
We hear people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, no. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, when you confess Him with your mouth, you are justified in the eyes of God. You are pure in the eyes of God. You are washed with the blood in the eyes of God. Amen? And so now you're no longer considered a sinner. You're considered righteous before God. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You go ahead being a sinner. I'll be righteous before God. Come on. I know it's a popular thing to say, but it's inaccurate. It's not biblical. The law showed us our sinful nature. The law, it showed us that we were crooked and messed up. But it points us towards a Redeemer, and that Redeemer is Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. Come on. Paul says it this way. Go to the next slide. So then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. We have no reason, we have no way that we can boast. By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified, again there's that word, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? God is Lord over everybody is what he's saying. God isn't just the God of the Jews. He's he's God of the Jews and the non-Jews. And at some point we're going to talk about how we as Christians are grafted into the faith of Abraham and we are part of that chosen covenant blessing as well. But before we get there, it says this, Is he not a God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Whether you've taken taken a part in that as the Jewish people or not, when you have faith in Christ, God justifies you. We have no reason to boast because it wasn't done by our doing, it was only done by Christ's doing. If we're going to boast, we boast in His glory. Amen? We don't boast in our glory, we boast in His glory. We are made righteous through faith in Him. Isaiah was a prophet, and he declared that his righteousness was his filthy rags. Paul says it later. Isaiah says, my righteousness is his filthy rags, he says in Romans 10. I like to think, you know, listen, here's the thing. I like to think I'm a pretty good person. Not all the time. Sometimes I can be mischievous. My wife will admit to that. Maybe some board members will admit <laughs> They go, ah, you, can, you, can, you gotta watch that guy sometimes. I like to think I'm a pretty good person, right? I mean, after I'm a pastor of a church. Paul was a, Paul was, Paul, I mean, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Isaiah was a prophet of God. And they look at it and go, you know what? My righteousness is nothing compared to Christ. My righteousness is like filthy rags. The last verse of this chapter, which we're we're coming to a close here, but the last verse might be a little uh, confusing to some. It says this, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, it might seem confusing to some because it seems that Paul is claiming that the law, it seems everything up till now, Paul is saying the law is void. And in the very last verse, he says that uh, 
It's not overthrown. He says, uh, really, the truth is that until Christ came, the law was incomplete. Until Christ came, the law was incomplete. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Amen? Christ came to fulfill it, to make it complete. It's why those who have faith in Him are no longer considered sinners, but righteous. No longer condemned, no longer guilty. We are justified by the sacrifice of Christ. In the next chapter, we're going to talk about Abraham and the law. And how we'll see the law point towards Christ, the Redeemer. That's the way it's redeemed. That's the way that the law makes sense. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. There's a concept that we talked about this morning. Two concepts, actually. One, actually, three things. One is we talked about circumcision. We talked about cutting away of the flesh. You say, Pastor Dave, it's kind of a it's kind of a funny thing to talk about. And yeah, of course, I know in modern society we don't like to think about it all that much. But but we let's think of it this way: that maybe God wants to cut some things off of our life. Maybe maybe God wants to cut away some fleshly things off of our life. Maybe, maybe we're full of hurt and anger and pain and gossip and backbiting and, and all those different things that God says, no, that's just flesh. We need to, we need to cut that off. Some of you are full of lust this morning. It needs to be cut off in Jesus' name. Some are full of anger. It needs to be cut off. We need to surrender it to God. The second thing we talked about was his being a propitiation. Man, I love that. That even though I deserve to be on the cross, he, he, he took my place. I deserve to have my back scarred and the nails put in. I deserve that crown of thorns. I deserve to be hanging on a bloody cross, and so do you. But Jesus became our propitiation. He took on the wrath of God and sacrificed Himself for us. The third thing we talked about was this, that he, that we are justified by faith in Him. That we're justified by faith in Him. It is justified, never sinned. It's justified, never been unrighteous. That we're made pure in the eyes of God. I'm not going to ask anybody to bow their heads or close their eyes or raise their hands or come forward. I'm going to simply say this, that maybe God is speaking to you this morning and you need to pray for forgiveness in your life. Maybe you've let flesh take over your life and maybe you need, you know there's some things that need to be cut off in your life. Maybe you never really understood or took the time to look at what Christ did on the cross for us. Maybe you never understood or or took time to consider that Christ took all of the wrath of God upon Himself so that we wouldn't have to. So you might be here this morning and say, you know, I'm just, I'm just starting to get, catch a glimpse of what Christ did for us. And man, it's powerful. The third thing would be this. Understand that we're justified by faith in Christ. Doesn't make us perfect. Right? I'm not perfect. Am I okay? No. 
Honey, am I perfect? What? Come on. But we're forgiven. Amen? We're forgiven. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. And in being forgiven, we are justified. Some of us need to understand that in our lives. We need to have some courage in our faith. We need to have some understanding that God has our back. Why? Because even though you may not be perfect, God has justified you through faith in Him. You say, Pastor David, I can't, I can't share the gospel with these people. I got too much stuff to work on. Pastor David, I can't step out in this part of faith because I got, I got too many things to work on. No, no, no. The Bible says you are justified by faith in Christ. It's time to have some spiritual backbone this morning. It's time to have some spiritual gumption this morning to jump out and, and get some things done. Amen? I don't feel qualified. Jesus says you are. If you have faith in Christ, if you believe in your heart, you confess Him with your mouth. If, if you're moving forward, believing and having faith in Christ, I'm telling you, Jesus says you're qualified. Amen? I like what somebody said once. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. It might not be the person that has the most skills, the most, most athleticism, or it might not be the person that you would think would be the person that's supposed to be there, but God qualifies those who He calls. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You this morning for this message in Romans. Lord, about cutting away of our flesh, about cutting away of those things in our life that we know are just holding us back. Maybe those things that we boast in, those things that we boast about, those things that we think are our own strength. Lord, let us rely on Your strength, not our own. Lord, thank You for being our propitiation. Thank You for for taking my place at the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never called upon Jesus as your Savior, I want to let you know that He's ready for you to come into His arms this morning. I want to let you know that He's ready to take on your sin and your shame and your anger and your guilt and offer you mercy and grace. You say, Pastor David, what do I need to do? You need to pray a prayer to God that He would forgive you of your sins. Invite Christ into your life that He would be Lord over your life and that you would now then be justified before God. And justified never sinned. Justified never been unrighteous. Lord, I thank You for those who are here this morning. Lord, I thank You for for those who are going to hear this over podcast. Lord, that You would speak into their lives. That You would draw them near to You. Lord, I pray for each person. Lord, that You would bless them. And Lord, that You would keep them. Lord, that You would cause Your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that You would give them rest. Lord, we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.